Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything. So this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition. We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. Today, I have Jordan with me. Jordan is not your cliche home birther. She's not particularly spiritual or crunchy or hippie. She's Jordan. I love her story because it shows that you don't have to be in a particular box to birth at home. All it takes is allowing your body to do the natural sequence of birth without getting in its way. Jordan had a typical first time birth in the medical system with induction and then after binging Free Birth Society podcasts episodes, she knew she had to discover the magic of home birth herself. And she did. She has the simplest, easiest home birth I've ever heard. <laughs> Jordan, do you want to um, do a little short little intro to tell people just your background and where you're from? Yeah, so I'm Jordan. I grew up in Iowa. I'm a baby of five kids, and my mom's a nurse, my dad's a doctor, my brother's a doctor, my brother-in-law's a doctor, my grandpa's a doctor, my uncle do- is a doctor. Truly, I grew up around the medical field. I, too, am in medical sales now, along with, along with my husband. Um, so this is my life, and I basically grew up with Z-Packs in the cabinet. If you're sick, go grab a Z-Pack. We ate it like candy. And um, yeah, I had every vaccine and yeah, my whole life was wrapped around the medical field. Um, I went off to college. I was a college athlete where I played basketball at the University of Denver, met my, ho- my husband who was a hockey player. Um, we moved down to Scottsdale, Arizona and then we got married a few years ago and started a beautiful family of a little boy who's two, almost two and a half and a little girl who's four months old. So you're four months postpartum, ready to talk about your magical home birth. Yes, and my family thinks I'm crazy. And they're like, what the heck happened to you? And I go, you know, Leah happened to me. I corrupted you. You did. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm to blame. You are. But you know what? I'm to blame because a baby was born in peace at home. I know. And, I and, you, ex- you. and you experienced the magic of home birth. Truly. And I owe it all to you. I really do. I mean, you did the work though. <laughs> yes, but you opened my eyes. <laughs> oh, so I love that you now have this wider, wise perspective of what truly went on with your first hospital birth with Bo. Yeah. You, everything conventional and normal happened to you. Right. Yeah. And you, you kind of thought you were protected from the medical system because you read Ina May and you had a doula. Right. 
but that's not enough sometimes. And, and, and mostly it's not because when you're walking into the doors of the medical system, they kind of own you. Yeah. You're choosing them. You're walking in there willingly and it's, it's their system. It's their rules. It's their protocols. Right. It's yeah. And it's funny now that I've had a second baby, when I look back, I thought I was so prepared. I read the book. I was following all the Instagram posts. I hired a doula. I was ready to go. And it just wasn't enough. And truly, I think in an old podcast, somebody said, like, you have to prepare for birth like it's a marathon. You need to train for it. And, and really, you need to train your, your mental state. And I did not do that for my first birth as much as I thought I did. My second birth, I definitely did. But Birth isn't something that you can just show up and put all your trust in the doctor, all the, all your trust in the medical system. Like you really need to be educated about what they do and what goes on. And I had an inkling of that, which is why I hired a doula kind of as like my authority figure. If anything goes wrong, she's there to save me basically. Um, and I went in with a plan and that plan did not happen. And luckily my plan wasn't as bad as most women's, but and I really thought at the end of my birth, everything went great until you sent me birth podcasts and I just kept hearing the same story over and over again of the same things that happened to me. Um, and that really is what made me unpack what actually happened and what led me down the road to going a different route my second birth. Wow. So you read, oh, first, okay, so you're pregnant with Bo. This is three years ago. Yeah. COVID baby. COVID, COVID baby. baby. Yes. You <laughs> couldn't have your husband at appointments. No. So, yeah, I found out I was pregnant. Um, and my husband, they did allow my husband to go to that first ultrasound, which I had three ultrasounds that, that pregnancy. My, my second pregnancy, I only had one. Um, but that first ultrasound, he was allowed in. And then the second ultrasound, the anatomy scan, they, we had to, like, sneak him through the back. He had to be, wear a, glo- a mask. I had to wear a mask. And he could only be in there for a few minutes to see the baby. And then he had to leave and go home. But all the rest of my appointments were completely on my own. It was, yeah. It was- and you, you, there's a lot of that that you hated. Like the doctor was always 45 minutes late for oh every single gosh. prenatal appointment. Literally. I, and I was working. So I, I would go to these me- these scheduled appointments and... I would show up at 9 a.m. for my appointment. I wouldn't get there till 10. Or the doctor wouldn't let me back till 10. And then I would be out the door at 11. And I have meetings that day. So, like, it would interfere with my work schedule. And it, and there's just something about sitting in a doctor's office that just is not fun at no. all. No. And it really was pretty consistent every single appointment. They were 45 minutes late. Yeah, so you hit 40 weeks with Bo. And did the conversation of induction start at 40 weeks? She, so I was really clear with my doctor that I wanted a natural birth and that I hired a doula. And I made sure to hire a doula that my doctor liked because, you know, there's some doulas out there that doctors don't want to work with and that could hinder your experience. I really made sure I found somebody who I liked that my doctor liked. So I had to consider my my doctor in that choice. Wow, that's like... Wow, that's a big people-pleasing thing. Right. Luckily, it worked out, and I really did love my doula. Um, but I hit 40 weeks, and once I hit my due date, I started panicking. And I was not, I did not know have that knowledge of 
your baby doesn't come on your due date. <laughs> as much as prepared as I thought I, I was, I did not know babies could come much further off your due date, which is silly because I have a sister who has six kids and she had all six kids after 41 weeks. And you'd think I'd probably ask her about that, but I didn't. And so I, I once 40 weeks came, I started spiraling and I was just doing all the things to try to self-induce. And it was exhausting. And truly, I did everything. I made these special spicy recipes. I did curb walking. I did acupuncture. You name it, I did it. Um, and the baby never came. And but the biggest anxiety was that your parents were in town, weren't they? Yes. And this is my number one advice to anybody who's less listening and I'm pregnant. Do not invite your family out until you're, I, I would say, 42 and a half weeks. Don't let them come to town if they're not in town until then because it was looming over my head and I was creeping up to 41 weeks and the day I turned 41 weeks in one day, my parents were flying in town and we're only going to be in town for five days. And my, so I met with my doctor that week and I think I was 40 weeks in five days and she goes, how about we schedule you an induction? Um, I'll let you go to 41 and three. I'll let you. Yep. I'll let you go to 41 and three. But if your parents are coming and you have anxiety about it, let's just schedule your induction for Sunday. Um, which was the day I turned, or, uh, yeah, I think the day I turned 41 weeks. But what did that do to your mental state knowing your parents were in town for only five days? Oh my gosh. I was just so stressed out. And my whole plan went out the door because I wanted to make sure my baby was there for my parents because I didn't want to waste their time, which was silly because my parents the whole time were like, don't do anything because we're coming. Like, it, it's yeah, okay. It's, it's not their fault. It's, it's, not it's their the fault. pressure you felt. I put it on myself, truly. And, and my parents were great. They did not want me to make any different plans than what I already intended to do, but I just felt that it, pressured that I wanted my, my parents to be there and I didn't want to waste their time. I wanted them to meet my baby. So I signed up for the induction and my plan was to have a natural birth. So right off the bat, that's kind of off the table because my baby didn't come on his terms. He came on mine. Um, so Sunday night, I turned 41 weeks. I went to the hospital at about 8 PM and they started me on side attack. Um, so it's a little pill. And, and they probably didn't tell you the what it, what the drug insert says on Cytotech. I knew nothing about it. They just said, like, this is a really gentle way to start induction. So I was like, okay. It, yeah, the, the drug insert, I really highly recommend anyone, you know, vaccine drug inserts, always go to the drug insert. Birth control drug insert, always go to the insert because you get to see the long list in Cytotech says that there's no scientific proof sent to the FDA to prove any of its uses mm -hmm. and it can cause uterine rupture and uterine bleeding and death to the mom or baby. This is what the drug insert says on Cytotech and they present it to women like, oh, it's, it's gentle, it's not a big deal, but read the drug insert. Yeah. It, it is, <laughs> it is, wild yeah and if i knew that i probably would have second guessed 
taking it, second guess the whole induction as a whole. But I showed up, here's a little pill, it's Cytotech, it's really gentle, you'll be in great hands. Great, I never asked any questions and I never was told these are the side effects either. Because you walked into that system and you trusted them. It's funny, when you walk into a hospital, you just put all your trust into them. But no one could ever care more about you, your body, and your baby than you. Exactly. And they're strangers. But there's something about walking in the hospital where you just kind of hand that all hand that all over to somebody else. Like, you're going to save me. You're going to take care of me. It's all going to be good because well, I'm yeah, in the hospital. It, it's, it, we all have the programming. And it's, yeah. the, it's the religion of science and yeah. that they are the God. Because if, if a baby dies in the hospital... It's not their fault. Right. It's not their fault at all. You were in the hospital. Yeah. Like, if they couldn't save you, the, the baby was going to die regardless. But in my opinion, if a baby dies in the hospital, you better be looking at every drug that was inside that baby and everything done to that baby. 100%. But that's what we know now after we yep. studied it. Yep. Yeah. But if you don't ever look into this, like, you don't realize how many side effects come with everything they do at the hospital. Every single drug has a long list of side effects, including yeah. death. Yeah. So when something goes wrong in a hospital, the first question asked should be, what drugs was in that person? 100%. Yeah. Oof, I don't know where this trust comes with big pharma drugs, but it is deep. It's just programmed in us. It is. I mean... It is. It's programmed in, into all of us. And you watch every movie, and every movie makes you fear birth. Yeah. I mean... Every birth scene, and you're, the woman is screaming on a table, and doctors are all around holding her legs apart, and it just looks like terror. Terror. And so we are programmed to believe like birth is not going to be. It's good. It's scary. It's yeah. Hard. So actually, with all of that programming of Hollywood movies, mm -hmm. where it literally looks like a terror scene. Yeah. So for you with Bo's birth, you probably didn't. I don't think you had necessarily a moment of terror so you walked out of the hospital thinking that was good right because you're probably comparing it to a hollywood movie exactly so i left my birth and i still haven't told my birth story yeah i left my birth thinking like oh that wasn't that bad because of what you see in the movies but to go into my birth i did, had two doses of cytotech um i I actually did have a, a little bit of contractions when I walked in the hospital. I had no idea that I was having contractions until they put um, this little monitor on me and they had to tell me. Um, so who knows? Maybe he would have come at that time, the same day, regardless of the induction, but we'll never know. Um, and then early in the morning, my doula showed up the next day. And, um, and this is where I was really thankful to have her. So the nurse walks in just check on me, did a cervical exam, which does not feel good. Um, and then my doula asked her like, hey, can she labor in the tub? She really wants to labor in the tub. And my, my water had already broken at this point. The nurse calls my doctor and the doctor says, no, her water is broken, no. So my nurse comes back and says, she cannot. My doula flips out and she's like, that's bullshit. I work with women every day who gives birth in tubs. She goes, nurse, I need you to leave for an hour. So she did. And luckily my doula, she knew the people, she knew my nurse. So like people respected her and listened to her. Um, so the nurse left for an hour and my doula's like, I don't care what they said, we're getting you in the tub if you wanna be in the tub. 
And I was so thankful for her for that. And well, so, because you didn't have the capacity to speak up for yourself in that setting. But can you imagine if I was by myself? Yeah. I would not know what, I'd be like, okay, I guess I'm stuck on this hospital bed. Yeah. Like maybe if you've done it four times in the hospital and your fifth baby, like right. you're like, I'm a pro at this. Right. And you could feel that about yourself. But as a first time mom, mm. that's, that's why you knew you had to hire a doula to for fight sure. for you. For sure. In, because you're going to war. Right. Essentially. And and for those listening, if you are going to have a hospital birth for your first time birth, you should consider a doula. Like, and you, it's not that you should put all your power into a doula to be your authority figure. But for me, I, I, I really felt like she made an impact that day. Um, and then, so she got me in the bathtub and I got to labor in there for an hour. The nurse came back and checked me. And after this checked, check, she goes, oh, honey, you're only on a four. You're, you've got a long ways to go. Like, you really should consider the epidural. And that line is a line that I hear in so many podcasts. And I had no idea it was a line, but it's totally a line that they use just to get you to comply and get the epidural. Because um, that's what they want you to do there. And, of course, I'm like, I'm only on a four. I have such a long ways to go. I, I'm in like this is which is a lie because cervical checks your body's not a robot right and so whether you're at a two or an eight there is no telling when the baby is going to be born right but the hospital thinks a body is a robot a woman's body is a robot and so they say oh you're only at a four this is going to be many more hours but women can go from a four to a ten in 30 minutes right and i didn't know that which I, looking back, I should have done more research. I should have prepared better. But in your mind, in that case, this is a big piece of your birth because you felt so mentally defeated. Yes. I was like, wow, this is so intense. I'm only out of the four. The nurses, I have a long time left to go. Sign me up. But the thing is, she could have lied. Yeah. What if you are the six and a six to your mind would have been like, oh, a six, I can do it. it they have the power they to have, lie, and they yeah. and there are stories where it happens. They have the power to tell you whatever they want to tell you. Yeah. Which is why I decided no cervical checks my second birth. Absolutely none. Those The cervical checks were the point that absolutely mentally took me out of it. So I said, yes, give me the epidural. And the, the anesthesiologist was in a rush. Um, he had a C-section to get to, but they last minute put me on his list to get me in before, uh, before he goes off to the, the C-section. So he does a rush jo job and I use it like birth is so mental that at this point I put, I mentally check out and I go, okay, I'm putting everything into this epidural. This epidural is going to save me. It's going to take me out of being uncomfortable. So I mentally check out and... I get the epidural and it only works on the right side of my body. I'm completely paralyzed. The guy goes off to a C-section and he's not, um, he's not available for two hours. So for two hours, I mentally check out. So I'm tensing up more. I'm feeling numb on one side, but feeling excruciating pain on the left side. And I was just stuck like that for what seemed like hours. And it, and it was, it was two hours like that. It was, it was horrible. Um, he comes back and fixes it. And of course I get billed for two epidurals, <laughs> even though it wasn't my fault. And that moment when he came back to give me the second 
epidural was the moment I broke down and just started bawling. And I just felt so defeated. And like those two hours were so awful. And then I had to get this needle stuck back in my back, which which was super painful. Well, well, that that in itself is a crazy procedure. Yeah. That it's a long, long needle that goes in your back. And then thankfully he fixed it and I was able to chill after that. And uh, yeah, then I got really comfortable. Um, my birth started progressing and the nurse comes back um, and she checks me. She goes, oh, you're only at a nine, you're, you're at a nine, you're getting really close. The second she pulls her hand out, my body starts just convulsing. I'm just like, I'm just making these noises like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? I turn to my doula, I'm like, what is going on? She goes, oh, that's the fetal ejection reflex. Like your body's ready to have this baby right now. Your body's naturally pushing this baby out. And even though I had an epidural, I could feel this. I knew nothing about it. The, the nurse looks turns and looks back at me and she goes, no, 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 you cannot have this baby. Hold the baby in. Don't push. Don't push. Your doctor's not here. Your doctor's 20 minutes away. And my body is working against everything she's saying. My doula goes into my ear and she goes, don't listen to her. I will deliver your baby if you need. Just go with your body. Just If it's going to push, don't hold back, which I was really thankful for. Um, so I, towards the end, I w- did start holding in the baby and because... The, the nurse kept shouting at me to hold it in. That's crazy. Yeah. And then my doctor did walk in. They pull my legs apart, and then they're telling me to go on their count. Push for 10 seconds. Go oh, on. my gosh. So then now my body's doing it, but I'm not going with my body's rhythm anymore. I'm going based off of their count. And, but luckily, my doctor walked in, and my son, Bo, was out within two minutes of her arrival. Um, Which the doctor has to arrive for liability. Yeah, and to just catch my baby. Like, I probably could have had him probably a few minutes (sighs) sooner. Um, But I did have a second-degree tear. Um, But, yeah, he came out, and it it was not painful, that part, at all. And they put him on my chest, and I got to soak him in. Um, And I looked up at my husband, and I thought... Like, I was like, I just did it. This was such a great birth. I didn't have a C-section. Like, we did it. And and also, talking about my husband, like, poor guy didn't have much of a role at the hospital. Like, I had a nurse. I had a doula. Like, I didn't really... He's like, what do I do? Yeah, and he in that he was like that. He was well, like, yeah, most I don't men know what are. to do. I mean, most men are. Yeah, yeah. So, he just got to kind of witness it all, and we soaked in bow, and... Then they moved me um, to the postpartum care unit and another thing happened in the hospital that just kind of stuck with me is that night I put Bo on my chest and I, I took a nap with him. Like they set him up in a little bassinet, not even an arm's reach from me. And he's just, he just looked so lonely over there and I just wanted to sleep with my son because that just felt instinctual. So I put him on my chest, I took him out of the bassinet and the nurse came in, saw me sleeping with my son, and freaked out. She goes, oh my gosh, I cannot tell anybody you did this. Like, do you realize how dangerous this is? Like, people, you could fall asleep and roll on top of your baby. Like, you have to keep him in the bassinet. This is so wrong. It's against hospital policy. And I was like, well, what? This is like four in the morning. She just woke me up out of my sleep. And I'm like, I'm panicked. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize I did something so wrong. And that kind of stuck with me when I got home. 
I felt like I could never sleep with him on my chest. He needs to be in the bassinet. Like, it's so dangerous. Um, Because the most dangerous thing for a baby is the mom's body. Right. As if. (laughs) That is the safest place a baby could ever be. All my baby knows is me. Yeah. He should be on my chest. But, yeah, that was another thing in the hospital. So... And I didn't know that until he sent me those podcasts. And I just kept hearing the same stories that I ran into. And that's really what made me start becoming obsessive over learning about birth. And about a year after I gave, after a year after Bo was born, I think you sent me the first podcast. And for work, all I do is drive. So all I, now for the whole year, I spent every day of work just listening to podcasts about birth all day because of you and it taught me so much that I did not know my first birth yeah I'm pretty sure I probably only sent you um free birth society and healing birth yeah there's there's a few on a different on different podcasts but I don't know like the those are the two yeah those are the two because they know like the truth of physiological birth yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it just started peeling back layers that society has conditioned us to believe all this fear around birth and just hearing these women's stories over and over again, it just started peeling back that fear and really making me trust birth, really making me realize hospital isn't the safest place to give birth for me. Um, and then I got pregnant, and because of you, I knew not all midwives are safe to work with either. Like, you have to be really careful about your selection process. Um, so when I got pregnant, I interviewed three midwives, and I also joined the Arizona Birth Facebook page, and I would stalk people's photos, birth photos. And if they had photos with their midwives, with their gloved hands, like pulling the baby out of the water or all over the baby seconds after birth, I'd be like, nope, not going to talk to them. Yeah, because those midwives probably have a God complex where they get off on being needed Mm -hmm. or being wanted and having that role and not all midwives are created equal. Like some are so amazingly supportive, like the one you hired and then others are, are shitty. Like they have, they might have a God complex or there are so many home birth stories where midwives abuse women and fear monger women just because it's a home birth doesn't mean it's just automatically safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we've heard so many stories from home births where, where there's amazing midwives and then there's not so amazing midwives. Right. And you really have to take responsibility in hiring the best one for you and that's what you did. Yeah, and you really need to know what you want out of your birth. And, be, and because of you, I'm going to just keep referencing you. <laughs> At one point, I was like, gosh, maybe I want a free birth. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, that's a little too radical for me. I need to hone it in a little bit. And I decided on a midwife. Um, I did ponder the idea of an unlicensed midwife because I know they can be a little bit more hands-off. But then I found my midwives, and they encompassed everything I, I was looking for. And the only reason I know that is because I had a friend birth with them. And her story was exactly what I wanted. I basically wanted a free birth, but with midwives in my presence. Wise women. Yeah, wise women. I just wanted them to be there and be present in the room, but not alter anything. And allow me to be really, like, lean on my intuition throughout my birth and 
that is exactly what I got. I love my midwives so much. Shout out to Emergence Midwifery here in Arizona. Um, so, so yeah, and I landed with the best team and best care ever. So I went from going to an OB office who was 45 minutes late to every appointment. I'd wait for 45 minutes just to be seen for 10 minutes in and out, such a pointless appointment, to my midwives driving to my house, having every single prenatal on my couch, and just be in the presence of my home. If they were late, they texted me and I did not care because I was home, there was no big deal. Um, I only had one ultrasound and it was in my house with my son and my husband there to on, watch. On, in the living room, in on the, the couch. Room. So cool, I only did the anatomy scan. Um, and I loved that. I, I loved only having one ultrasound. And I felt like it allowed me, after that ultrasound, it allowed me to be even more connected to the baby because I had to be instead of my other, my first experience where I had to look forward to the ultrasounds to connect with the baby, if that makes sense. Yeah, because you were going externally. I need uh -huh. technology to feel connected to my baby instead of internally going within and connecting with your baby right so i was like i'm not gonna see this baby again until birth so i have to go internal to connect and that was that was super special too um and every little test that they do i feel like it adds more fear in the it's, hospital system yeah like every every time all those even in the midwifery system too but all those little tests it does put like a little ounce of fear in the back of your mind um so I was grateful to have a few less tests or, yeah. or ultrasounds than I did the first time. But, but you also used your voice more than ever because mm -hmm. you learned so much and you knew exactly what you wanted and didn't want. Yeah. That you knew you could say no to your midwife and really, really, uh, they, they would honor your no, but you were firm in it and I, I knew what yeah. I wanted. And they were always on my team. Whatever I wanted, they, they would do that for me. Um, so yeah, every appointment, and I was such a problem child for them. I got the most bizarre illnesses this pregnancy over and over and over again. And my sweet midwives, every time I would get sick or have this bizarre illness, they would next day or same day drive an hour out and come hook up an IV on my couch to me and just sit with me and help me through it. And like, that is the type of care you would never receive in the typical medical system and like I text my midwives we're on social media I have a relationship we are friends you could never see that with your standard doctor either no so just the prenatals alone I was just already like so happy with my decision yeah it was just really cool with you posting your prenatal appointments from your couch from your living room mm -hmm. on your Instagram stories yeah even just that like to me that was powerful you can't and you had, it. yeah, and you had, you would always have people commenting. Mm -hmm. I just like the type of care I got. I wish all women could receive. I just felt so loved on, so cared for. Like they truly cared about me, and you don't get that with regular doctors. And I know I, I hired a really special team. Not all midwives do that, but I was really lucky to find a team who did. Yeah, but you did your research. Like you, oh, yeah. you spent a lot of time, really interviewing researching mm -hmm. asking people's experience you took it very seriously because that's in your responsibility yep so i had a friend recommend a, another friend recommend a midwife here in town and she told me her story and she told me that oh the 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 midwife 
helped the baby come out by finding the cervical lip, like did it, pulled the cervical lip, something like that. And then I went to that Facebook page and I read stories about that same midwife. There was two stories that both said, oh, she, she moved my cervical lip and my cervical lip was in the way. And it was a repeated pattern. And I was like, nope, not even going to talk to that, that person. So it is important to do your research. Oh my gosh. Um, and pay attention to those things. Um, yeah, so, t- so say um, how you threw supplements at your illnesses. Oh, oh my gosh, I was... <laughs> oh, Lord. That never, that never worked, that it was no. a lesson. Okay, so I, I, I feel like Instagram is my school. And I've learned a lot of powerful stuff from Instagram. It has taught me so much. But it also hinders me in a way. And I, I'm like every company's favorite client. If you tell me it's going to work, I buy it. I'm that person. My husband gives me so much crap. You're like, this is going to save me. Yeah. This supplement is going to save me. Oh, yeah. And I buy it all. I, no joke, probably spent $1,000 on supplements in my pregnancy. My husband can attest to that. And, um... So I completely reworked my entire supplement line because all these health people on Instagram were like, oh, you got to take this, you got to take this. So I have a million supplements I'm taking, drop all my old ones, and I switch it all in like a day. And I end up getting really itchy, really red, and it gets like out of control. I am itching all the time, all throughout my sleep, and I ended up developing something called PUPS. And is this rash that you cannot get rid of until your baby comes out. And even after the baby comes out, it takes a while to to settle down. So my arms and my belly and my thighs were bright red, covered in a rash. And I was just itching uncontrollably. And and I did not have this rash until I switched all my supplements. Yeah, because we take supplements because we take it because we're like, you're going to save me. You're going to delete my symptoms because I don't trust my body right now. And when the symptoms, we take a we take a supplement, not knowing what it's actually doing in our body. Yeah. And I used to be a huge supplement queen. Mm-hmm. Like my closet used to be so full, and that's because the mind thinks it knows what the supplement is doing in your body. Right. But you actually don't know. You don't know that you know all of these in combination with one another was actually overburdening your liver and making you itchy. You don't know. Yeah. And we just tell ourselves, oh, we know it's going to save us. It's it's helping our body. But you can actually making things worse. Right. And, and I went through that as well, and you did yeah. too. Yeah, I totally experienced that. And I didn't know supplements could do that. I thought, oh, me it's either. a supplement. It's not going to hurt oh, me. Oh, yeah, like, oh, well, but you're still messing with the body. It's yeah. not a big pharma drug, but you're still making your body ingest something unnatural and trying to manipulate the body and the body's so intelligent it is going to work with that manipulation in the best way it can yeah and it probably made you itchy and a rash because that was that was how it was dealing with it in the best way it can because it's so intelligent yeah for 10 freaking weeks (laughs) (sighs) yeah so i did that at 30 weeks and i was very itchy for what seemed like so long um but then so what was your mental state going into your daughter's home birth? Like, were you dealing with any fears coming up or did you hit that later? No fears until like the last two weeks 
which really shocked me because I was so solid in my feelings and my decisions. And I was really surprised when my, my due date was approaching. I was like, wait, why am I having these fears? And it's just like the little voice in your back of your mind saying like, what if you can't do it? What if it's going to hurt? Because my first birth was with an epidural um, and it was an induction. It was totally different scenarios that I didn't know how I was going to be able to handle it. And I never had those thoughts until those final couple weeks. Um, and I had to sit with it and like really deal with those thoughts and know like it's just a voice in my head and don't let it get to you kind of, kind of. And, um, but I, I had to address those thoughts and, and figure out why those are popping up and get through it, which yeah, I did. And, and, and I do think it is natural. It is. Because you, your ego mind is always going to try to protect you from harm. And, mm-hmm. you know, something could happen at any birth and your baby could be born stillborn. Like this is all real reality. And yeah. the worst thing is your mind to suffer so it tells you all these worries to worry about right and it's natural i don't think we can strive to get to a place where no fears exist because right. we have a human mind right and it's just about sitting with it and mm-hmm. and being with it and facing it like you did right exactly yeah the, i think it's natural for those fears to pop up i think it's going to happen even with my my third baby which i hope to have i think i'll still deal with it even though i've already done it i think they'll be there yeah um, so those final two weeks roll up and I get sick again. <laughs> it was like a very common occurrence. And these sicknesses are bizarre, you guys. It's like I had a hand, foot, and mouth. Uh, I had a sinus cavity that got infected on my left side of my face and my whole face blew up. And I was in Las Vegas for work and I'm in dental sales. And one of the, my face started blowing up and this dentist had a put an injection of lidocaine just to like help me get through it. Like just bizarre things kept happening. So then the last couple of weeks roll around and my son gets sick. And of course I catch everything he has. So I get sick and then it turns into pink eye and this pink eye would not go away. <laughs> but it also blew up your eyelids. Oh, I, I looked crazy <laughs> it, and it spread to both eyes. Like I looked like a crazy person and um and i'm trying everything to get rid of it i get prescription drops i get um over the counter drops i'm looking up everything on the internet and finally i go to this guy named my i call him my witch doctor but in town. The, the the this sickness really shit hit the fan with it like you started fear spiraling because you were 40 weeks weren't you yes i was past my due date um so i it lasted for nine days so it lasted before my due date, then it came past my due date, and I'm like, why is this not going away? And I and I I went on social media, I was like, you guys, what if my baby comes and I have pink eye, then I give my baby pink eye, and I was spiraling, I was like, why is this happening to me? And I was just praying that the baby wouldn't come while I had this pink eye. Yeah, but that was, that's where you hit your wall of fear spiral. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you went to your witch doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's a story for, for another. I mean, like, but the way you said it to me is like, you were so in victim. You're like, why is this happening to me? I was like, me? somebody needs to fix this now. I can't live with this. I need answers. So I went to my witch doctor. That's a story for a different day. Um, but he figured out, he told, well, I'll just tell the story. He said it's parasites that were causing my 
pink eye. So he gave me garlic pills and literally it cleared it up, which is so funny. So random. But the portion of that story that I remember is that if he would have said, oh, it was bacterial or whatever, you would have gone and gotten a big pharma prescription. Yeah. But because he said parasites, you were like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And you, and, and from that appointment, this is all like energetic, psychological, where then you were like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. And that's when you finally surrendered. Yeah. And you I, had to be told it was parasites to finally surrender. I know. I was like, all right, well, I guess there's nothing else I can do. I just got to wait and hope this clears up. Because you were in, in full resistance. You were like, I could give birth being sick like this. I could give birth looking like this. And it was in full resistance. And then when you were like, the witch doctor said, oh, it could be parasites. You're like, well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. I just need to accept it. <laughs> right, right. He told me to eat garlic and it should help clear it up. So that's all I could do. And and I was, I'm so vain. I was like, my birth photos. I can't have pink eye in my birth photos. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you could really, Photoshop it. That's really what my big concern was. <laughs> you didn't tell me that? Yeah, yeah, I know. I would have told you it could be Photoshopped. Oh, you'd have to put a new <laughs> set of eyes on my face. I looked so bad. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, so that was Monday of that week that I went to see my witch doctor. Um, I had the baby Friday of that week. Wednesday of that week, a few days later, my pink eyes get a little bit better and my sister ends up flying in town and she was here for her national sales convention. She decided to come two days early just to help me go grocery shopping and get all the meals planned and just have meals set up for us before the baby comes. And then she helped me totally clean my house. And she kept saying, like, what if the baby comes? What if the baby comes? And I was in full denial. I was like, our sister Jenny had all her kids after 41 weeks. Bo came after 41 weeks. Like, there's absolutely no chance this baby will come while you're here. And then Thursday night, we finished cleaning and cooking. Everything is done. Everything is prepared for this baby. And we're sitting around playing games. And contractions start coming very loosely, like very far apart. And I go to bed that night. And um, the contractions are still coming, like every hour or so. And in the early morning, it starts picking up. And because I had pink and I, pink eye and I was sick, I have had to reschedule my meetings. And I rescheduled them for that day, that Friday. The, Your work meetings. My work meetings, that Friday the 13th. Because I haven't been able to work for two weeks because I looked crazy. And... Um, so I woke, and so that morning my contractions were like about 10 minutes apart by the time I got out of bed. And I decided to do my hair and makeup for the first time in almost a month. It was Christmas, then I got sick, then pink eyes. So I had not gotten ready in a really long time. So that's the first day I did my hair and makeup. And I'm about to go out the door to go to this meeting because I really wanted the sales. And my husband and sister were like, you're crazy, you are in labor right now. Like you cannot go to your meetings. I go, let me call my midwife and see, and call my midwife. She's like, well, if you think you can go, go for it. So I was like, okay, I want these sales. So I go out the door and like the second I start walking out the door, my contractions went from 10 minutes apart to three minutes apart. And so I had to cancel that off. But luckily my hair and makeup were done that day. So I looked pretty good. Um, Otherwise I would not be looking like that. Um, And... You're saying that because when your midwife posted your birth photo when you had Logan in the bathtub, everyone was like, how is she so pretty? Yes. How, how is she looking like this? <laughs> that's, that's the only reason I'm referring to this is like 
If it was any other day, I would have had a hair bun in my on top of my head with no makeup on, looking a little crazy. But I was looking pretty good that day, only because I thought I was going to go to work. Um, and that day was Friday the 13th, so here's the fear coming back in my mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Friday the 13th. I cannot have this baby this day. Like, home birth, Friday the 13th, what am I getting myself into? Which is actually funny because I think... Fridays and Friday the 13th is really rooted in like goddess energy and like I don't know too much about it You texted me that that day. <gasps> I did. Yeah, you texted me something about Friday the 13th and how it's a good thing it, it, Yeah, I'm trying to think of it now, but that's funny that we all have that programming of Friday the 13th and witches and all yeah. the things We're so afraid, right? You know, it's very it's very deep stuff, right? But it ended up being a great day um, So I was in full denial that this baby would come especially since my sister was there. And sorry, I keep going on tangents, but you got to know about my sister. So my sister is in medical sales and she sells a device for hemorrhaging and in the hospitals. And so my, she's like, thinks I'm crazy to be doing a home birth. And she's really concerned about hemorrhaging because she witnesses it so much in the hospital and she sells a device for it. So she was like, you please ask your, your um, midwives these questions about hemorrhaging. And I was like, well, Jess you don't really see hemorrhaging in home births because Pitocin is what's causing the hemorrhaging in those hospitals. And we don't use Pitocin at, at, at home births. And my midwife said the same thing. She's like, in my, however many years she's been a midwife, she's hardly ever seen anybody hemorrhage. And then my sister also, this is the same sister that told me that when she decides to have kids, she wants everything planned C-sections. <laughs> so my, this sister is at my home birth basically which is so crazy that this all went down the few days she was in town and we are it ended up being like the most beautiful day ever i'm sitting in the backyard with my sister it's a 70 degree day and we're just hanging out in my backyard and then every couple minutes i'd be like hold that thought jess and i'd have to like kind of moan through this this uh contractions and she goes how how was that and we would just rate my contractions and it, I just kept saying, this is so trippy. Like, how am I in birth right now? And I'm chilling in my backyard with you. I'm probably hours away from giving a baby. And this is the day. I'm laying out in my backyard with my sister. Um, you also put an Insta story of you in your backyard. Like, I'm in labor. Yeah, hey guys, I'm in labor. <laughs> and I'm chilling in my backyard. Like, this beats the hospital. No bright lights. No random people coming in. Like, just hanging out. Um and ironically, that day, I already had a one o'clock appointment with my midwife. Um, and the timing of everything was kind of crazy. Like it was just so meant to be. Logan was just so meant to come on her time. And so my sister's hanging out with me. At one o'clock, my sister has to leave to go to a national sales meeting. It's my midwife's appointment. And my son's home with me on Fridays. So my son, um, he's in daycare Monday through Thursday, but Fridays he's home. One o'clock is his nap time. So we go put him down. My, I say goodbye to my sister and my midwife shows up. My midwife um, does my, I forget all the terminology, like the Doppler, does all, does all that stuff. Um, and she's still hanging around and I go, so I turn to her and I go, so is, am I still in early labor? Is this just early labor or what? She goes, oh no, honey, you're very much in active labor. I was like, wait, what? Really? She goes, yeah, you're going to have your baby soon. And I was like, how is that possible? This is like so manageable. Um, and this birth was so special with my husband too. 
I really, really leaned on my husband. And even though I had two midwives and a doula, it felt like it was just me and my husband there. Uh, in my hospital birth, it was like he wasn't even there. So I love that we got to have that. And every single, so every single contraction, I'd be like, Zach, come here, come here. And he'd have to run over. I'd put my hands around his neck and I would just lean over and moan, which is so funny. But that's all I could do to get through it. Um, and I, he helped me through every single contraction, the, the whole birth. And that, it just was really sweet to have that moment together and lean on my husband to help me through. Um, so then one o'clock midwife's there. She tells me I'm in active labor at like, I want to say 145, my doula rolls up and cause, cause to you though, it felt like you were just living your normal life in your house. You, the contractions weren't intense at all. No, they it's funny, the contractions only last for a minute. At least mine did. You can do anything for a minute. And they were so manageable compared to the contractions I felt in the hospital. It was really different. And it was, and I, I would get over it and just, it's like it never happened. And then you come back on and I just have to really focus, lean on my husband and just moan through it. Then I stand back up and it's on to the next. Yeah, because induction contractions aren't natural. No, and they're like on top of each other, they're really intense, where this, it was very much a consistent pattern and I knew exactly what to expect. I knew exactly how to get through it. Um, and it and it was not, it like literally didn't hurt. Some people might hate me for saying that. <laughs> but, I know, but we, we, get the, we get the birth that we need. Yeah. Not necessarily what we want sometimes. And sometimes what we need and what we want does overlap, but. Yeah, and I, Everything just came together so beautifully. My son is napping. My doula rolls up. And my my I told my midwives, I want this to be completely hands-off. I just want you to witness me. And they completely respected that. They just sat there and were just with me and just watched me. And um, and I'm kind of a jokester. They, made, they were just there laughing to my jokes. And it, I just loved having their presence. And I loved that they let me have the birth that I wanted. My doula rolls up and she's... She kind of tells me like, you know what? Let's go on the toilet. And I was like, Kelly, no. The, the toilet is the one spot where it hurts. And she goes, well, when it hurts, that's going to help get you your baby faster. So I was like, okay. She goes, just give me three contractions on the toilet. So I did. I stand up and she says, I'm going to come around behind you and lift your belly up a little bit. And the second she put her hands on my belly, my water popped. And it was crazy like she's like I've never had that happen where I'm holding somebody's belly and their water pops I felt everything and in that moment I go my water broke I need to get in the tub now everybody I need to go in the tub now and I look around I'm like where's my husband <laughs> and you know this from my photos I posted but my freaking husband is in the bathroom taking a selfie with water goggles on his face <laughs> saying getting ready to go in the tub boys <laughs> which is so funny and so him um so i'm like sock i'm going in the tub get in here and i go into the tub and it felt so good um and immediately the second i go in the tub the fetal ejection reflex comes in that same feeling i had in in the hospital and that was the one time i was like oh god oh god and it didn't hurt but i was just like oh my god i could just feel the baby dropping and i felt everything and it didn't hurt, but it was just, it's just an insane feeling. Um, it's crazy to be that in touch with your body to know exactly where your baby's at. 
Yeah, because you can't feel that with an epidural necessarily. No. You, you uh-uh. felt, feel ejection a little bit with epidural, but you're numb, so you can't fully feel exactly what yeah. everything's happening. I could feel the descent. I could feel her head coming down. I'm like, oh my God, this is happening. And you never know how you're going to be in that moment till you are there. And I was pretty surprised. Like, I thought maybe I'd be pretty vocal, but I ended up just leaning over the side of the tub and gripping onto it, at one of those hand combs, and I just went dead silent. I didn't make a noise for like, it, it was 10 minutes went by from the moment my water popped to when she was born. And I just leaned over that tub and I just went, I kept my head down and I felt her dropping and I just went, moved through it and I could feel every single step of the way. And all of a sudden I just roll onto my butt and I pull her out of the water my doula is running to grab her camera. She goes, oh my gosh, I had no idea your baby was this close to coming. Like you were so silent. And I pull her out of the water and I'm just in like shock and amazement and I'm just taking her in. And then of course I look up at everybody and go, you guys, that was it. <laughs> that was easy. Zach, we got to have another baby. I got to do this again. And those were literally my first words after giving birth. Um... <laughs> Oh my gosh. And, and my midwives just started laughing. They're like, God, you just made that look so easy. Like, I wish all women could have a birth like this. And I just was like, I cannot believe how amazing this birth was. And what a simple day it was too. Like the whole, and it's just like reflecting back on that birth versus my hospital birth. I'm like, why didn't I do this the first time? You know, like what the, from start to finish the care I got in the midwifery, um, with my midwives is just something that you will never get with an OB in a hospital system. And I like so badly want to shake all my friends and be like, you guys, please do this. Please do this. Trust me. But they're all like me and come from like a pretty standard background where Western medicine is a very big part of their life and they have the fear. Um, yeah, it was just so special. That day was so special. And then, uh, she was born, my, nobody, everybody just let me take in that moment. And at the same time she was born, it was the same time, or my, my husband ran and picked up my son. And so that- He was napping, wasn't he? He's napping. And so the second I, I lifted her out of the tub, I looked up and my husband, my son were there too. So my, my son got to like watch his sister, like get- lifted out of the water and meet him, meet her in the same moments I did. And that was, that is just like the most special, this wow. most special moment. Did she, um, have her cord around her at all? No. Did she like the cord was really short. Ray? No. So the cord was really short and she probably took a minute to a minute and a half to, to cry. But I wasn't worried because of everything you taught me basically. So and I know I know not all babies cry right away and I was not panicked and I just took her in and just kept looking at her and I was just taking her in and then after a minute and a half she started crying and and nobody was panicked over that. Everybody knew that was normal. Um, yeah, cuz there's this analogy I I love to say where just imagine you are a water being living somewhere you know a baby is a water being in a womb Mm -hmm. and you make this descent through this tiny 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 little tunnel and you know it's a journey and it's a marathon and then the minute you hit air 
imagine there was the expectation on you that you had to breathe or cry within 10 seconds of hitting air. Right. Imagine that expectation versus being trusted from being, from transitioning from a water being to an air being, which is what a baby does. Right. And they've never done that. They've never taken their first breath. They've never been out of water. So like, I just, I had very, I was at so much peace knowing that she's going to take her time to transition. And, and luckily my midwife's had that same peace too. Yeah. And she is fully attached to the placenta. So she's getting oxygen from the cord, from the placenta. Yes. And that's what matters. She's still getting oxygen. Yeah, she doesn't need to breathe. She's okay. Yeah. But in a hospital setting, a lot of times if a woman says, I want delayed cord clamping, a lot of times it means one minute. It, it's one minute. They'll get, I think it's usually one minute, but they'll be like, okay, we'll give you 30 to 60 more seconds. So you can either get nine, I think 90 seconds is the max they'll do in a That's hospital. That's insane. Because I asked for delayed cord clamping and they're like, yeah, we can do 90 seconds for bow. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And, and that, whole, that whole time that I was in labor that day, I didn't have a single cervical check. And I, I made sure I did not want my midwives to even ask me. And it didn't even cross my mind. I didn't, it didn't cross my mind to be like, hmm, I wonder how far, how, how much, di- how dilated I am. And that, like, I feel like that kept, kept me out of my head so much. Like, I was just able to roll with it because I didn't have that number in the back of my head, if you know, know what I'm saying. But, yeah, I, I remember with Bo's birth, that getting those cervical drags just... It just it took me out of it completely. And not having that the second time, I was able to really just enjoy it and go with the flow and not think too much about my birth. Um, so then she's born. I'm in the tub. I get to soak her up in the tub for about 30 minutes, but her cord is really short, so I'm kind of uncomfortable. I asked to get, um, get, get out of the tub. Everybody helps me, and... We go, they help me into my bed. She's still attached. Um, and from there, my husband gets to cut her cord. And I would, it, it's either, I actually think it was about an hour after um, that she was attached to the, the cord. Everything, it was completely white by the end. Um, and then my midwife, I was ready to give birth to the placenta. And because of the position I was laying in, my midwife kind of helped um, guide the placenta out with me pushing. And I felt I was totally okay with it. I was really happy with the way it went. Um, and yeah, my, my, my midwives and my doula, they all cleaned up my whole house. They tucked me in my bed, got us cozy. And then they left after a few hours and it was just me and my husband and our new baby just soaking up in that time. My daycare lady ended up coming picking up Bo and taking him for the rest of the day so we could have... Um, just that time with our daughter, which was so sweet of her. And that was so nice. Like, you can't beat that versus the hospital. They were checking on me every four hours or yelling at me. The do- my son was on my chest. Like, night and day difference. And my husband, he was so happy. He was making margaritas. He was just living his best life during my birth. And in the hospital, he had this poor guy had this tiny, uncomfortable cot. And now he, got, he gets to spend the night in his bed and like that you can't beat either especially from the husband side of things and Um, you got a full night's sleep instead of nurses checking you every few hours exactly and then 
So we had um, just about 48 hours to ourselves with our baby um, before my midwives came back to check on us. And then this this part of their care you also tops everything you get with the, the OB. OB, you don't see them till six weeks after. I saw my midwives either four or five times after I had my birth. And they came to my house. They checked on my baby. They did all my baby's vitals. They did everything. And they just cared on me and loved on me, made sure I was doing okay. And that, that part of it, oh, gosh, I know. I just love them so much. <laughs> I know. But to me, it's because you really researched and you put a lot of energy into who to hire. Mm -hmm. And it felt in alignment the whole time mm -hmm. because some women hire midwives and there's little red flags throughout your prenatal care and you didn't have any. I never had one. And some, some women disregard the red flags and then birth of that midwife and there are problems. Right. And you know, those are some home birth sabotage stories that you hear about. Yeah. And you can't just hire them because they're a midwife and trust that they're going to be exactly what you want. Not all midwives are the same, which is why you have to do that research. And I was grateful that you gave me that knowledge because I probably would have hired that first, that one midwife I talked about that was my friend's who does a cervical lip every time. Gosh, and I would have hated that experience. Yeah, because it, it some midwives still medically manage a birth, right. which yours didn't. No, they, they fully trust birth. They were so in alignment with how I view birth. And I'm just so grateful for their care. I definitely want to have another baby. I definitely will hire them again. I absolutely loved my team. You just can't beat being in the comfort of your home. Being in your safe place. Like, I was able to be so relaxed in my birth because I was in my natural environment. My home. My babies were there. My dogs were there. Like, I just felt so safe. And I feel like that's why I could just roll with it. And not be too much in my head. Not overthink things and not tense up versus being in the hospital where the everything is white, bright lights on, foreign gown that you're wearing, and random people just keep coming in. I probably had four people that I didn't know put their hands inside of me to do a cervical check. Strangers putting their hands inside you? Yeah. In what world is that normal? Never. Never. And then I had my daughter and didn't have a single cervical check. Like, you don't need it. And gosh, it's just, oh. And that just makes you tense up when you have somebody random putting their hands inside of you. It just makes the it's, process it's worse. Disturbing. And it hurts. It's disturbing. But, but it's disturbing that we even expect that going to the hospital and that we accept it. Right. In what medical setting besides birth could that ever be normalized? No. And, and it tells you nothing. Yeah. That's the thing that, that kills me is like, your friends go and do this and you're like just say no to cervical checks and then they still do it and it's the same story every time then you get in your head with this because of the, the number they tell you and yeah, oh, they, I, they use cervical checks against you right you're only this far along you should really consider epidural yeah. you should really consider c-section you should consider pitocin right and then the more pitocin you get i mean pitocin is just a whole other tangent right because pitocin the adverse effect of pitocin is hemorrhage yep and then you wonder why so many hospital births have hemorrhaging and you don't ever see it in home births because there's no pitocin but yeah that just the different scenario the different settings i truly think can make or break your experience and being at home like 
There's no place you're more comfortable than your house. Well, because birth is like sex. And can you even fathom trying to have a good sexual experience in a medical room with strangers coming in and out? (laughs) I'm laughing just thinking about it. I could never, never. So, like, imagine we, we, we had that expectation for sex and birth. And we accept it with birth. Yeah. That's so bottom shelf Yeah. expectation. Why do we think it's normal? Why do yeah. we accept it? I don't know. But man. We I... deserve so much more. There's so much more that is possible with birth. Yeah. Birth and sex are so similar because you need privacy. You need to feel comfortable. You need to feel safe. You can't feel threatened. And the body is primal. So the body feels threatened sometimes by little things, mm-hmm. by a very stimulating light. Um, I, you know, just think about having sex in the darkness versus bright daylight. Right. It's different. Yeah. It Same is. with birth. Mm-hmm. So it just makes sense that conceiving a child and birthing a child is done in the exact same manner. Same environment, where you're comfortable, where your body's able to relax, where you're able to open up. It just makes so much more sense. It really does. I even did a few things differently with my kids um, since I grew as a mother. Bo, he slept in the bassinet in a swaddle, and he hated it. That kid, every night, I was terrified. Every night, he would wiggle that swaddle over his head, and I would have to wake up and and see that his face was covered in the swaddle. Yeah, I still used it because that's what society said that you needed to do. And I learned from that experience. And once I had Logan, she did not have a swaddle. She slept on my chest in her little diaper every single night. And she and I slept so much better. I think I tried one night her in a swaddle in the bassinet and she did not sleep nearly as well. So I tried it once and then I went back to her on my chest And for the entire first month, she slept on my chest. I think I didn't even dress her, put her in any clothes till week three. She was straight up naked baby in a diaper, always glued to my chest until I think week three. And Bo, like the second I had him, I wanted to play with all those fun new clothes and everything. Um, And then Bo, he, I, I knew a little bit about vaccines. And so, and I was a little wary of them. So I had him on a delayed vaccination schedule. The only vaccine he got, only thing he got in the hospital was vitamin K. And then he got a few vaccines up until six months. And then at six months, I, I, this is the middle of COVID. I got really scared of the COVID vaccine. I did not buy into it. And I was in a mommy class and one of my, my friends in my mommy class, she shared her eight week old daughter got the DTaP, I think it was. And her baby started seizing. And the doctor looked at her and said, oh, don't worry, this is normal. Your baby will have to come back for two more rounds or something like that. And when she shared that, I was like, my jaw hit the floor. I go, okay, I don't know what I'm signing my kid up for. I'm bringing him into these appointments and I have no idea what's getting injected to him. I'm just doing it because they tell me I need to. And I go, I stopped cold turkey. I go, I'm not taking him back to another well appointment until I know more about these vaccines. And all you have to do is research one hour and you will never want to vaccinate your kid again. 
once you actually learn about it. Well, just the logic of you bring your baby in very healthily to a doctor, they get this cocktail of chemicals, and then they are seizing, so now they are unhealthy. Yeah. You brought your baby to a well baby visit. You brought them to a healthcare provider, and then they started seizing. You had a healthy baby, and now you have an unhealthy baby. Yep, and when I heard that story, I was like, I... I truly know nothing about vaccines and I need to learn about it. It was such a pivotal moment, especially with COVID. I am so thankful I had a kid during the COVID era, era, because I would, I would be a different parent. My kids would have every vaccine. I, yeah, I would just, I would never question anything about the government. I would just follow what they tell me to do and Holy shit, that really opened up my mind experiencing COVID. Yeah, thank God for COVID. It opened so many parents' eyes because they saw what was going on with the COVID vaccine. And then when you look at the vaccine childhood schedule, all of them have that history. Yep. And now it's 75. We have the highest rate of SIDS in our country and we have the highest or the most vaccines on our vaccine schedule than any other country. Some of the vaccines in our country, they're banned in other countries. And that, like learning that stuff, I'm like, what am I doing as a parent? How are parents not researching this? And my baby girl, Logan, she has nothing. Not a single vaccine, not even vitamin K, nothing. And she's so healthy. And yeah, so I like, there's just more things that helped me grow as a mother the second time around. And I'm so thankful that I opened my eyes to it and I actually did research. So looking back, especially on Bo's birth, like I just, I was not prepared. And I did not take authority over my birth. I put the authority onto my doula and I put the epidural as my savior. And I looked to the hospital, make all my decisions and... Gosh, I just wish, I wish looking back that I could have done more research and have been better prepared to know what I was expecting. But you don't know what you know. And luckily I did all that to for Logan's birth and I just had the most amazing experience from beginning to the end. And I mean, it, you had a lot of self, self-growth self between Bo and Lo, Logan. Yeah. Because with Bo, you know, you were you were that, like, maiden energy that was like, save me, and I need permission to do things, and, yeah. and I won't speak up for myself. I didn't have a voice. You yeah. didn't have a voice. And then I was very intentional with everything with Logan. I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew the type of people I wanted there, and I made it happen. And I felt so good about it. I still feel so good about it. I still look back and I'm just like, God, I had the most amazing experience. And now I want to do it again. Uh, Yeah, but that makes sense to me because when women go into their first birth, they're typically in that maiden energy, um, you know, where you want saving and you don't want to take responsibility. But then once you had Bo, you were a mom for a full year. And in that year, you really stepped into your mother energy. Oh, yeah. You you became a mom. And it's not... Maiden to mother is not about always having a kid. Because you can be an old woman with kids and still be acting as a maiden. You can be in maiden energy. Yeah. But you really stepped into mother energy while being a mother to Bo in that year. And then when you were pregnant with Logan you you were a mother like a true you were in that mother energy because you're like my next birth i'm taking responsibility yeah i am my own authority yeah and because of that look at the birth that you had it was so perfect yeah and it took me getting there 
Yeah. I'm just growing up and learning. Yeah. I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for you, truly. I really Jordan, am. Jordan, you're the, you're the one that did everything. I just... I you just opened my mind. You gave me the tool. You gave me the information and I went with it. I know, but the way I see it is that your soul resonated with something that it knew it wanted. Yeah. Like deep down it knew it wanted this experience and it was just like my posts or my words that made your soul light up and be like that. That is what I need to experience. Yeah. For sure. It, and I didn't say this, but my first birth with COVID, I had a second there where I went to my mom and sister and said, what do you guys think about doing a home birth with COVID going on? And they shut it down immediately. And then I never thought about it again. See, that's so maiden. Oh yeah. I was like, okay, if you guys say that, then yeah, I'm not going to do it. But yeah, I just let their opinion make the decision for me right then and there. Never yeah. thought about it again until you came along. <laughs> No, but it was all you. It was You're all right. you. Yes. It was all your... I had to be interested to receive it, and I did. Yeah, and, and ultimately, you are a mother that stepped into your mother energy because yeah. because you could still be in maiden, and that's often what happens with women. Yeah. But you're, you're different, which is why I think you had a home birth and you took responsibility because yes. you are a mature mother. That's me, girl. <laughs> Own it. Claim oh, it. Yes. <laughs>